Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. Uh, obviously, what SEC championship game are you rooting for? We're going to cover that today on the show. We'll talk about Kentucky and Will Levis coming back into the game. We'll talk KJ Jefferson. Georgia rolls again. You got LSU and Florida in a weird one down in Gainesville. Obviously, there was a game in Knoxville. And we there will dis- we will discuss what is probably the greatest football game in the history of the world. Jeez. Not no recency bias, no hyperbole, just the greatest of all time in the history of any level of football. College pro, high school, pop warner, peewee, you name it. Abilama in Tennessee on Saturday night was the best. We'll get into all of that and a statistical analysis of the probability that Tennessee could be the number one team in the nation could, that, that could make the playoff, that Alabama could be knocked off again, how Georgia would fare in that game, a look at if Ole Miss is real or not, and a whole lot of other cool analytical data stuff from chief guru data nerd Bill Connolly from ESPN, going to be our guest a little bit later on this uh, hour. So uh, this hour, this show, go check out. We're on multiple hours this week, Aaron. <laughs> Everyone was thinking in their head when you were going through that. There's no way Braden's doing this much math. But no, no. Then, you're, spoiler you're, alert, it's the guest. Well, here's the irony. Like I scored, I, I'm not even, I'm not, what's the best you can do on your ACTs? Like a 30, 36. Or 36. I think I had 32s in math and science and I'm the third best math person on this show today. Like yeah. a 32 is no joke. Like that's no, no joke. That's super scored. So uh, you're a big super qu- scored. I don't know what that means. No, yeah, this, was, this was back in the 90s. I don't know what that means. Wait, um, what does super scored mean? Is this like a it, Tennessee offense? What is this? No, it means like you got Jalen Hyatt's ACT it got, scores. It got it got to like you get to take like the best score in each category. No, no, that was my separate math score. My actual oh, your math score. Oh, okay. yeah, I that your was total overall score. No, I think I had like a twenty nine because my my reading and comprehension and and art you know arts That's and good twenty nine is good. Uh, but I had a thirty two or a thirty three in math and science. I was pretty good. And I'm, the point is, is not to brag about me, but you're a big quantum physics guy. And Bill Connolly <laughs> is it? Bill Connolly is a huge data analytics nerd. That's what he's made his entire career off of. So literally, even though I'm not all that bad at math and science, I am by far the third best math and science person on the pod. Now, before we do any of that, however, because there's a lot of fun stuff, a lot of celebrating in my household over the weekend, of course, so mm-hmm. uh, and on the cell phone and on the back porch and with my children, it was just a lot of fun. Um, I didn't walk anything down to the river and throw it in yet. I haven't done that yet. But uh, before we do any of that, Fringe Element is brought to you by J.E. Dunn. Do you want to take the tagline this week? Listen, oh, you're wearing the shirt. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't have any swag. Look, look, look at that. I mean, if, you, if you're watching on the YouTube, turn on the YouTube channel, by the way, notifications, push all the buttons, do all that great stuff. I got the hat on, too, which here's a question. Does this violate? Go to Jay. Go work at Jay Dunn, by the way, jaydunn.com. If you're looking to change your career, top 100 healthiest place to work in America, $5 billion in annual revenue. You know all the reasons they care about their employees. So go check them out if you're looking to make a change, if you want to change, if you want to be fulfilled and inspired like a Tennessee offensive performance, go work at Jay Dunn, <laughs> jaydunn.com. Check them out. Here's this does violate my rule that you do not wear. And I don't know, you're a woman, so you could comment more thoroughly on this. I don't think a man has ever looked good in two items of the same team sports apparel. 
So if you are wearing and, and at the game doesn't count, being at the game doesn't count. Okay. Like you could, t- you could wear a Jersey. You could paint, paint your face if you want. Like, I don't give a shit. Whatever you want to do at the game is fine. But, and in your living room, doesn't matter. But walking around in your regular life, if you are wearing a Tennessee orange shirt and a Tennessee orange hat, I do not think it's ever looked good. I don't think Alabama hat with Alabama shirt looks good. I don't think Kentucky shorts and a Kentucky shirt is ever going to look good. Should grown men wear two items of the same sports team at the same time? Um, I don't see a reason why unless you're at a sporting event. But I see what you did there, which is turned one back, turned your hat backwards. You can't tell it's Jay Dunn. Yeah, right. And it's also so not a sports kind of getting, team. It's not a sports team. And they're paying you, you said two for me to wear it. The same. Well, yeah, that's true. They have I'm asking about clothing. They I'm asking about sports. Athletic athleisure dresses with logos. I see. I don't think any of the the uh, like man. I think it's all man violations. I don't think women. There are no rules for women. Like men should not wear cargo shorts. Women can do whatever the hell they want. No men one should... should wear cargo shorts. I'm going to stop you there. <laughs> I men... disagree. <laughs> valid. Valid argument. Men should not wear jerseys of other grown adult men. If you're a grown adult man, I don't think you should do it. You want to do it at the game? Great. I don't think a woman has ever looked at a man in a jersey and been like, that dude's hot. I, w- I want some of that. Like, if I don't think that's did, ever happened. It was not because of the jersey. <laughs> but yeah, it's never. And also, just to... let's throw this out there just while we're and then we're going to move on to football. But Football. Justifying cargo shorts with their functionality is not <laughs> a proper justification. It does not matter how functional your clothing is. That's not the point. We so are talking. We are speaking specifically to Barrett Salee of CBS Sports, who I've argued with about this forever because he takes his kids to amusement parks and wears cargo shorts and says, look at all the stuff I can carry in my pockets. Yeah, nope. And the zip offs don't even <laughs> don't even go there. It, like jor- j- jorts. Men should not wear jorts. Women can wear all the jorts they want to. Um, So again, this is about grown men wearing two items of the same sports team's apparel at the same time. I feel like that's a violation. Yeah. So you get a pass for J.E. Dunn because we like them. But besides that, don't do it. You agree. You've never seen a man wearing like a Vandy hat and a Vandy shirt and been like, okay. Like, I just mean like at the grocery store, at the bar. It has to be like real subtle. It has to be like a... A team like a just a solid color like white polo shirt with a very small like Cubs something just like okay. right uh, like a logo. The C. Then maybe you can wear a hat because okay. it's like so subtle. But like okay. that's really getting into the nitty gritty of it. But again, know? to stick with Alabama Tennessee, yeah, nothing about know. their apparel is subtle. Either one of them. No, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, I'm not sure Tennessee apparel should be weared at any other point during the week except for during the game. Uh, very you, easily argue that yes all of my tennessee gear by the way is gray or white for that exact reason uh, little subtle orange pops of color you know what i mean uh, all right so what what here's the question what do you want to know about my experience what do you want to know about tennessee fans experience on saturday night because every podcast every tv show every radio show has covered every angle of what this game is which is just the perfect embodiment of what we love about college football, which is the the Goliath, the giant, the greatest coach of all time, falling to the arch rival who hasn't exercised these demons in 15 years of frustration and pent-up anxiety and nausea in front of 100,000 people with two elite quarterbacks playing near-perfect football. All of that is true. What do you want to know, Aaron Dugan, about Alabama and Tennessee? I mean, I guess, why don't you just paint a picture for us about what was happening 
for you because you're like, that's your, that's your alma mater. So I'd like to know what you were doing. I will say before you start, I am softer than I have ever have been. <laughs> I know I have a little brother that went to Tennessee, but I'm from Memphis. I went to Vanderbilt. It's you don't like Tennessee. Yeah. Not in my blood, but I was judging the shit out of myself watching it. Cause I was like with a couple of people that were Alabama fans. And I was like cheering, like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I don't know, but I well, want now, Tennessee to win. But to- I, to be fair, reasons. everyone's rooting against Bama, though. Like, I have it's Florida. Even, yeah, it's not uncommon. It's just weird yeah. for them to see me do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a Florida fan text me and was like, way to go, rooting for you. And I was like, really? You're a Florida fan. Like, what are you, do- what are you talking They're Like, we all hate Bama. Everyone hates Bama. <laughs> right. Um. So here's here's the... the Yeah, paint the picture of what you were doing on I Saturday. Can bo- I, this is as easy as I can boil it down. I have worked in sports media for almost 20 years, and that has murdered my wife's enjoyment of sports. Right. Okay. She likes going to games. She likes going to tailgate parties. She does not like sitting down and watching football because it's been on her house on a Saturday and Sunday for every week we've ever known each other in the fall. And she just doesn't enjoy sports anymore because I've ruined it because of my career. Right. But she, but she loves going to games and she, she loves partaking in events and you know, the tailgate and the family party and the, you know, all that stuff, having the house, having people over celebrating all that good stuff. She, it was just, the kids were the kids did eventually come downstairs for like the fourth quarter. And again, six and four year old girls. So I had to like pry them down from like get them away from like whatever god awful cartoon they're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife looks at me during Bryce Young in Alabama gets the ball back with about three and some change, almost four minutes to go. And I said, this is going to be the four minute offense right here. Mm-hmm. She's like, she's like, what, what do you mean by that? And I was like, and she's not she knows her sports, but she's not an expert. She goes. I go, this is where they're going to run. They're going to get, the, they're going to get into field goal range. They're going to take their time and they're going to bleed the clock down to as little as possible, kick a field goal, and win the game, because this is what Bryce Young does. This is what Alabama right. does. It's what they did to Auburn. It's what they did to Florida. It's what they did to AM. It's what they did to Texas on and on and on and on and on. And she looks at me and she's like, I am nauseous. <laughs> does she really? Yes. She goes, I, 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 my, I, I, she goes, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to, th- I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I was like, and it's the first time I've seen my wife in like years have mm-hmm. an emotional reaction to a football game. So that was cool. That was so. And again, I think her embodiment said the gravity of this situation. Yes. Without question. And I think, again, what made it great was just that there were there's nothing to complain about. Like, if you want to bitch about one call here or one call there, that's fine. But like both sides can do it. Hendon yep. Hooker was extraordinary. Bryce Young was extraordinary. If you love right. defensive football, I don't even think you can complain about the quality of this because I think it was just dudes making crazy plays. Like I don't yeah. think there's there's nothing to complain about. You cannot complain about anything. Yeah, and normally you'd look if, if you saw you see a score like this, especially in the SEC, and with these two teams, you're thinking that defense was not present. But you're right, that's not that was not the case. It was just some insanely athletic plays and just. Yep. crazy stuff. Yep. Um, it like Bri- the way Bryce Young manipulates defensive linemen, like three steps ahead in his he's like in his head, he's three steps ahead of the defensive lineman. He's yeah. like luring you out to the flat to stop and cut back and throw against his body. And you're just like, no one's ever done that before. At one point, again, this is all gonna be about my wife today. She just goes, she's this she's the daughter of a of a fisherman. And um she goes, <laughs> the one play where he's like they're driving to score Alabama and he like cuts between some offensive linemen. He mm-hmm. like somehow wiggles between like three Alabama offensive linemen and like drops it off to the flat, picks up like 26 yard on a on a second and twenty-two or some 
insane Great, yeah. nonsense. Right. She goes, man, he's a slippery sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Did she really? And I was like, God, Look. I wish Haley would do color. <laughs> I looked over at her and I was like, I was like, that was your father right there. Like I've never, yeah, you've never, you've never been more of your father than right there on uh, right in that moment. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Bryce Young, he's a slippery sucker. <laughs> <laughs> and it's what he did all game. And this is what's crazy. Also, it's Hook- like completely accurate. <laughs> yeah. Hendon Hooker. That's the best performance. Jalen Hyatt. That's the, these are the best performances in the history of Tennessee football that I've ever seen. Yep. And I don't, and I think Bryce Young was better. Yeah. And it does feel like, I mean, at times I feel like Bryce Young is carrying a lot of weight and I know that he's able to do that, but, um, it, I'm sure he has, he has a lot of responsibility on a very talented football team, obviously, but he still does carry like he, there's a lot of stuff weighing on Bryce Young's shoulders, especially in order to make things happen. Um, but yeah, you look at like Jalen Hyatt with the game that he had six passes for over 200 yards. Um, was it five? Five touchdowns. Five, five touchdowns. touchdowns. Never um, before done against a Nick Saban defense. Third most receiving yards against Alabama since in 20 years. I mean, just you can keep going through the stats and you could just do it with Jalen Hyatt and Hendon Hooker and it would take you a minute. Yep. Yep. And and the Tennessee-Alabama rivalry, right? Like first time they yep. had given up this many points in the first quarter. First time Tennessee had led at the halftime since 04. Like you can just keep going down the list. And again, well, I think one of the most important things to take away from this is that like Alabama still has everything to play for. They could absolutely, they control their own destiny. Tennessee controls its own destiny, but, but like there was no flukiness about it. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't a fl- Alabama didn't lose it on a fluke play. Tennessee didn't win it on a fluke play. There wasn't some major officiating controversy. This was just an extraordinarily well-played football game that led to peak college football drama and that that is why like that to me obviously it it hits close to home because i'm married to an alumni i'm an alumni and very rarely does that come out but like even if that had not happened i still would think extremely high like had alabama made the field goal i still would be like tennessee is one of the best teams in america totally i still would say that's one of the best games i've ever seen in my entire life it would not change the evaluation you really do have to search for now. If you're Bama, there's things that you could be upset with yourself for in terms of just the amount of pure. I mean, they had 17 penalties. There's like seven penalties in the first like that's a lot. Ten minutes. Yeah, it's a lot. Even I mean, it's a lot for anybody. And it's the I think that it cost them like 130 yards. So there's things that Bama could look at themselves for and be like, we have got that is not okay. And then the other thing, oh, when you you did wonder why when I think Bama was on the thirty two yard line and they they didn't really run, should have didn't run uh, the ball <laughs> didn't run the ball and didn't make Tennessee waste timeout like yeah. there's like but that's that's you like searching and if you're Bama you see those things obviously but as an a fan or a spectator I mean you're really having to dig to have anything to complain about on either side unless you're Nick Saban and you're complaining about penalties well I will say Bryce Young got hit in the face so I don't know what the re- they reviewed it and I don't know what the rest were looking at um there's a couple of 50 50 calls some went Tennessee's way some went Alabama's way but even but they, it wasn't like just painstakingly right that's not the right call and and even I agree with you Alabama should run the ball at least once to force Tennessee to use a timeout in that situation but here's the, but this confusing. but this is what makes the game so great they they risked it and ran the angle route with Jameer Gibbs and yeah. Bryce Young puts it right on his hands and if he catches it 
he picks up he picks up 10 or 12 yards, gets a first down, they run the clock down to zero and it's a shorter field goal and right. they win then the game probably. That's the wrong call. You're right. right, right. So like yeah. even in the moment where you can second guess, you kind of can just say, well, that was just a, that's just football, man. Like, right. You <laughs> had to make a decision and hindsight's 2020. Right, right, right. Yeah, now, it here's, was pretty incredible. Keep going. Well, I was going to ask like, who who's who's number one in America? Like take Ohio, how about this? Who's the best team in the SEC? Because I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this. Bill, Bill Connolly will have an answer later. <laughs> you know, God, that's so hard. Like right now, it's, neutral field. Right now, neutral field. It's hard for me to imagine what that what that matchup between Tennessee and Georgia would have been like. Um, I mean, it's hard to not say Georgia, but I don't know. I, I, Tennessee kind of played lights out, and I never thought that I'd be saying this this quickly from what we saw from them a couple of years ago, but. I kind of think it might be Tennessee. Well, and Bill, will talk about this later. Like there's the two things that Tennessee, the one thing that Tennessee can do that very few teams can do is go down the field. They can take their shots down the field and it forces you to do this stuff. And Alabama doesn't match up great with that. Georgia has trouble. Georgia, the reason they're beatable right now is they can't go down the field either. So that will be a thing in Athens in a couple of weeks. But here's what's cool about this. I think you could argue it's Alabama still. And you, you could. would. And it's not that crazy. It's not. I think it's just it, the dyna- like the dynamic nature of what Tennessee is able to do on offense. If you're just watching, it's just electric, for lack of a better word. So, you know, when you really, really get into the X's and O's of it, I think you could argue Alabama or Georgia or make a case for Tennessee. But as a, if you're watching it on TV and you're not doing what you do on a day-to-day basis. Right. It's I, could hard see how, I could see how anybody would say Tennessee because of just the way that it looks. Well, And they have the best resume right now. They have the best wins of anybody, including Georgia and Alabama. Right. Uh, they have the, their strength of schedule and the road win against LSU, Pittsburgh, Florida, like they're all good wins. What I think is interesting about Tennessee is that I think of the three teams, like right now my ranking would probably be Georgia one, and then I'm not sure what I would do if I if they had to play again and I had to bet everything I owned, I'd bet on Bama. But I think Tennessee's earned the right to be number number two in that list with mm-hmm. Bama at three. Right. But here's what, to me, this is what's interesting. Tennessee has both the best thing of the three teams and the worst thing of the three teams. Okay. And I, I think they have the best passing offense big play explosive offense. They have a thing that no one else can do. Bryce Young is great, but he can't do that because they don't have the weapons on the outside. If they had Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle and right. you know all these other pieces, that'd be a different story, but they don't have, and frankly, Tennessee didn't even have Cedric Tillman. They also okay. have the, they also have the weakest defense and the weakest unit of the three in their defense. So like you could argue Tennessee has the best thing and the worst thing mm-hmm. of the three teams I think they're basically all even. I, I don't, I mean. It, I think like, in on any given day, any of those matchups could go in any direction. And yeah, I, I would argue that there, I mean, and to me now there is a gap. It's not just Alabama and Georgia with a gap to the the second tier of the SEC. I would argue that right now, I mean, like we're saying, Tennessee is in that. That top tier has expanded to three teams, which it's normally either one or two. It's normally not well. Tech, that's not true. Texas A and M. So it's been Texas A and M has been in that spot more yeah. or less in like recent years. But I would say Tennessee has an even stronger spot in that. If we're gonna make the top tier of the SEC three teams now, it's I mean it's easy what about undefeated old Mississippi? I don't. I think there's a drop off. Still, I think I think you're right. 
Uh, they're just untested, but they're going to play LSU this weekend on the road. Then they're going to host Alabama. I mean, they, they're going to prove Ole Miss is going to prove it to us. They're going to have an opportunity to prove it to us because their schedule is real hard the rest of the way. But then the long, the deeper we get into the season, the more depth of matters. And I do think Georgia and Alabama have, um, I mean, just probably have more depth at a lot of the positions than ten. I mean, Tennessee. I mean, I don't know. Ole Miss is not as deep as no. It, even close. Jordan They're also Alabama. not as good at quarterback either. Right now. No. Right now. And their so running game is the, their running game games. is salty though. <laughs> yeah. When you get into those later games though, and you're talking about injuries and like God forbid, obviously we don't want anyone to get hurt. But when you get down into it, the later in the season you get, the more that matters. So I I don't know that necessarily Ole Miss is that far behind if we're looking at it in this sense, but I definitely still think there's a gap between them and Tennessee. And I think as the later we get, the more it's gonna show. Does any of your opinion about the Josh Heupel? I, I know where my opinion has changed because I was sort of, you know, Jeremy Pruitt was like a, like you know, a petulant adolescent child who didn't deserve the job, and Philip Fulmer didn't deserve the job, and it, you know, I think having a, a professional adult in both of those positions has helped this program immensely. Professional adult, just like a like a mature, rational, normal human adult. Like yeah, I no, think, yeah, that you all know, this makes sense. I think that's a huge boost to where they were before. So I think that's a big part of the growth of the program. But uh, like, has your opinion changed of the higher? Like, do you think there's more upside or can they win national titles? Like, what what do you think? What is the proof of concept now that Tennessee has beaten Florida, beats LSU on the road pretty handily, and now has beaten Alabama? What what is the what what is what have you changed? What's your opinion? How has it changed of Josh Heupel? I, I mean, I, I liked him from the beginning in in terms of, well, no, I won't say that. I, I thought it could be a good hire. I was not sure. But when I saw how quickly he was able to change a culture that was extremely broken and how much fun he put back into the game, which does matter, obviously everything else does too, but just you know, getting these guys to a place where they had confidence when they believed in themselves, they believed in each other. I was very impressed with that. I didn't know if it would translate to wins and losses how it has, but I think my opinion has to change because they basically do, they've done it. Like once you do it, like you can, you can become what you can see. And even though, you know, I'm sure they talked in the locker room and at practice, like we can do this, we can make it happen. And they maybe really believed it, but you, it has to happen. And yeah. beating Alabama is just, it's so, it's so foreign at this point um, to anybody that's even, you know, that was not, very you know under the age of 15 and 98 i think i said that backwards but you know what i mean it just it's <laughs> once you see oh. it once you see it you can be yeah, yeah. so proof of, proof of concept that's what watching it is. him do it I, yeah yeah you have to give him more respect i don't know if anybody could say i knew josh hype would come in and you know be off like beat all these teams even have these insane wins on the road and then beat alabama no, but no, no, no diehard Tennessee fan if predicted anybody, any of that. If anybody no. or even any media person, I, like I need receipts. Yeah, no one. If you said that, good for you. I'd love to see where I want to see it now. And I will be you can back me up on this and tell me if I was wrong. If you think I'm lying here, okay. I, I may well. be a jack. I may be a jackass, but I don't lie. He, here's the thing. Like, I always thought this was going to be a good hire that eight and four, nine and three is where he would top out and they would make progress this year at about eight and four, nine and three. Obviously, that's wrong this year in the short term. 
in the long term, we have no idea if he can win national championships. This win doesn't prove that he can win national championships. We have no idea what life after Hendon Hooker looks like or in year five battling Kirby Smart on the recruiting trail. Like we don't know exactly what any of that looks like. That's mm-hmm. not for now to discuss though. Like we can worry about that later. Yeah, just right, enjoy it. Right now is about enjoying it. And right now the answer to that question for me is there's more upside than I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's the, name, image, and likeness has helped him in recruiting, which was a question I had. And that there's more upside for Josh Heupel than I expected. And that's it. That's like as simple as answer as I can give. Like I thought, I thought he'd be a good coach. I didn't think he'd be great. Right now, I think there's a chance he's great. And I think it's all about, to your point, and I asked this of Cedric Tillman at SEC Media Days, because when I went down to Atlanta, I had two coaches I wanted to find out why it was working. Sam Pittman and Josh Heupel. And I wanted to find out why it was working. Let's do ta- something in common. I asked a lot about communication. They're just regular dudes. Yeah, but they're what players, they, coaches. What they have in common is they're just regular people. Like they're like, they're just guys who probably like wear sweatpants around the house and like <laughs> they're just like dudes. Like they're not. Well, when you th- compare you know? them to some other, like when you compare them to other people, if you think about a Dan Mullen versus a Josh Heupel or a Sam Pittman, then you realize how similar Josh Heupel and Sam Pittman really are. They're they're guys. They're they're players, coaches. That's what they are. They're old what is <laughs> what does Dan Mullen wear on on uh around the house <laughs> like probably silk pjs or some shit. <laughs> like a matching one <laughs> like <onesie>. slippers <laughs> like he always goes to the hotel and takes out the robe and the slippers yeah, you know ple- pleated khakis I he's don't just know. not he's you know and even like there's cargo there's, shorts <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't know about that um but yeah there's just some coaches that that's at the very very forefront of what they do and obviously these guys do a million things like head coaches are you know have so many responsibilities but you compare you can you can look at coaches and compare them you know compare these two to someone like dan mullen and then you're you really realize like okay they they do have something in common and it has probably has to do with relationships well and even i'll be like nick saban is obviously elite he's great but nick saban doesn't have the same like sort of approachability and like regular old guy kind of vibes. Like no. he doesn't have those vibes. And and I, like Shane Beamer's bringing a lot of sort of like personality and regular mm-hmm. guy vibes to the whole thing. And I, when I asked Edric Tillman at SEC media days and same thing with, with all yeah, the, the with the Arkansas guys, I said, why is it working? What's the communication? Why, what's going on here? And, and I actually asked Heupel about it too. And he, and he said, I, Cedric Tillman said to me, he goes, Josh Heupel takes time out of his day to sit down and talk to a, a bunch of us every single day, one-on-one for 10 or 15 minutes at a time. And we feel like we have a personal connection with our head coach. And and he spe- and this was unprompted. He says, and if more coaches did it, they would win more. That That is a quote so, from a player. Kind of gives me the chills, but it's 100% accurate. And we we can rattle off the list of coaches that we know in the SEC that didn't take any time at all to have those relationships with their players. And that is about culture. And, and so again, Heupel, Pittman, Beamer, you know, Stoops, I think same way at Kentucky, like go down the list. Mm -hmm. These guys are doing it with, with sort of personal relationship building, culture building. And uh, if you want that for your life, go to jedun.com. I was going to say, what a a great transition (laughs) before we move, before we totally get off of the subject. I think as a tenant, if you're a Tennessee fan, this all of this should excite you, obviously, but what Tennessee has the capability to do because they have done it in the past and the resources that they have and the fan base that they have, it's it's a great place to for Hypel to be if you're a Tennessee fan because it would take it is an elite job 
it, it it's a, oh my god you don't need it, it's not just going to be a stepping stone job like from memphis like i know people like fuente are going to come in and then leave and go to the next best thing and that's fine you love to be good for a few years and i'm not saying again we'll see how recruiting plays out but it's an amazing place to be if you're a volunteer because it's not just a stepping stone job that could be like a lifer situation if it works out and that's that should excite you yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. I think the one concern would be Oklahoma, his alma mater, if Brent Venables doesn't work yeah, out and this is true. goes into the tank. I think the one place that you could argue maybe, you know, again, Oklahoma's moving to the SEC. That's where he played. Th- there could be some heartstring stuff there. But I think the way he's, he's resonated. And that's a while. Yeah. And the way he's resonated with this fan base and what he's connected, I think you make a great point. And I, I'm so glad you brought it up because. There's more than a few media folk in the SEC that I have had long arguments with about why Tennessee still has national championship capabilities and DNA. They do. That the resources have never gone anywhere. They've never not been able to do this. They've just hired bad people. Right. (laughs) And no program is immune to making bad decisions, hiring bad chancellors and presidents, bad athletic directors and bad head coaches. Like every program can do that. Yep. And, and Alabama's period of time was just much shorter, right? It was like Mike Shula and Mike Price. And like they, they had some bad decision-making in there. Auburn has bad decision-making all the time. Texas, Texas would have all of Alabama's championships if they could just make good decisions. And so mm-hmm. Tennessee has always had this capability. The whole like Tennessee will never be back. They'll never win a national. They can never compete. They've fallen off permanently. Like I've argued with, I don't want to call anybody out because I like them and they're my friends, but like I've argued with so many people, like Kentucky fans, especially you Kentucky people are like, Oh, Tennessee's never going to be back to where they are. Tennessee's already gone well, way past Kentucky. It took, it took Mark Stoops 10 years to get here and, and Tennessee did it in two years. But you just have to look at all you'd have to do really is look at, look at how much people were waiting for that and how much support there is. Yeah. All you have to do is look at the field after the game. I like, I get just chills again it's just insane. thinking about it. Yeah. It's crazy. That's all been pent up and just ready to yep. like I mean, people have still been supportive. They've just cried a lot, you know. Well, and and to be objective, like you know, I like Kentucky football. I love Mark Stoops. Mm-hmm. I like what he's accomplished. I think they have built that program the right way and have done things better than almost anybody else in their situation. But don't tell me that their upside is the same as what you saw on Saturday night. Like it's, 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 it's just not Tennessee has always had that upside. They're just dumbasses. <laughs> like It's true. Like, and some of it's self-inflicted. Let's be very clear about this. Like, and it's been points that were even higher than the, it, even higher than the head coach, higher than the AD. I mean, it's yeah. just, yep. you got, ev- yep. things have to align. If you don't, yep. you've not been in a university environment or worked in one or been around one, you it's, it's, it's something that it works different. And it, if it doesn't work right, it works very wrong. Yeah. Dondi Plowman as chancellor, Danny White as athletic director, Josh Heupel as head coach. Those three people are in the right positions now to allow Tennessee to sort of fulfill its potential. And again, we've got 100 years of evidence to suggest that this team can compete for national championships. They just made a bunch of dumbass decisions. And again, let's be clear. Some of this is Tennessee's own fault. They have to own oh, for the Shiano sure. thing and the Lane Kiffin thing and the Derek Dooley thing and the all the bad decisions. They have Bill to own Palmer that. Thing. Yeah. They have to own it. They got to own it. But man, it's led to this, which is pretty, which if you're a Tennessee fan, is pretty fun and pretty cool. God, so, that was fun. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, the, the amount of text message photos I got uh, of people doing very stupid things. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't night. remember a better game. 
I don't yeah. remember a better game. It was it was pretty awesome. And if you want to believe, you want to live and work and operate in a Josh Heupel type of culture, a Sam Pittman type of culture, a Mark Stoops type of culture, go to JE Dunn, jedunn.com, top 100 healthiest place to work in America. They got they got offices all across the southeast. Um, just they, you they, said offenses. You said offices. They do, and they have offenses too. Like they're they, they've got those as well. And tell um, them that we sent you. But for but for real, they're actively looking to hire good people. So if you're even semi unhappy in your job, it's worth just looking into. And you probably I don't know if they let people work from home that much. I'm not <laughs> sure about that. But I'm not even sure you'd want to because their offices no. are so legit. No, you know if if you here's the thing if you are quiet quitting right now because you have not been <laughs> rewarded for going above and beyond the call of duty because you've not been rewarded for hard work and like caring about your own performance and your team's performance. And you've not been rewarded for that. Go to Jay Dunn, make the switch jdunn.com. They go check them out. You don't need any experience in construction. They've got all different types of roles for all different types of people, whether it's HR or PR or marketing. marketing. It doesn't matter. Like they, they just care about the type of person you are and the type of worker you are. And they will care about you as much as you care about you. And there's not a lot of people that can do that. Josh Heifel can do that. Yeah, you'll be better at football too, clearly. (laughs) Yes, By the transit of property, you'll be better at football. So Go work at J.E. Dunn and your alma mater will win an SEC championship. We guarantee it. (laughs) (laughs) We love... We love a false promise. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so go check that out. Bill Connolly uh, of ESPN stat, stats, data expert, nerd extraordinaire, going to join us coming up in just a little bit. But uh, I quickly want to touch on something other than just the Tennessee Alabama game because, uh, yeah. um, actually, I'm, I'm going right back to it here. Uh, okay. SEC champ. What, what's the SC, the dream SEC championship game? Like now that technically Ole Miss and Tennessee with Lane Kiffin and Tennessee playing in the championship game. We're going to learn a lot about Ole Miss this weekend. Tennessee, we just learned a lot about. They didn't need these outcomes for this to be possible. They both still control their own destiny in both divisions, mm-hmm. but it does feel a little bit more possible now. I think there's I like, I would love to see Alabama, Tennessee's a rematch. I don't think Tennessee fans want that. I still think no. Bama, Georgia would be a great game, but don't tell me it's not. Ole Miss and Tennessee and Atlanta, like something new with that kind of background and storyline. Holy shit. That would, would be awesome. It's definitely, it's definitely the most interesting option. It, if I thought it wouldn't suck the life out of what happened, I don't, I don't want to suck the life out of any of the joy that happened on Saturday because it was just incredible. So I understand that a rematch is a scary thought between those two teams, but how cool would it be if they could do it again? And you really know, but oh, I don't man. think Tennessee fans are, really want to risk that if you're talking about interesting and something new i mean it would really it would definitely give us because we i think tennessee Ole Miss would be super interesting but i i do feel like i still have some question marks around Ole Miss and what they are going to be able to do and exactly what their level is at this point i don't know if you do but... I, I have a i have a ton of questions the line this weekend against lsu is one and a half um, the data is starting to back up their performance though. And Bill's going to talk about that a little bit more because I am, I, I will be accounted for here because I thought Ole Miss was overrated in the preseason. I wasn't yeah. buying the hype. I thought this is not a team that can replicate what they did last year. They lost too much. And I know they've played like a schedule that's not good at all. Right. And they haven't challenged themselves at all. All their tough games are now in front of them, but, and we're, but like, if they go to L, if they go to Baton Rouge and win, like, they got Alabama coming to their place in a couple of weeks. Like all bets are off if they go to Baton Rouge and win this weekend. And I think right. it's, I mean, I'm not picking it. I'm picking Bama to go to Atlanta, but man, it's not, it's not out of the question here. It's just, it's different for, in my mind, for Ole Miss to be LSU. And I'm not saying, cause I mean, we saw a lot of 
but you know, LSU just rolled through Florida this weekend. So we not not discounting what LSU has the potential to do, but there's a difference in beating an LSU team at this point. I'm not, I think Brian Kelly has them going on the right path, but there's still a little bit of like disorganization. It's not the pinned up machine that Alabama is. So there's a huge difference in, you know, beating LSU. I, uh, one and a half is, I mean, that's really basically small. a pick them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know where I was going with that actually. <laughs> You're like I'm a Jackson. That, like, you're like a Jackson more, Dart throw. You're not exactly sure where it's going to land. Yeah, we'll just see. Just throw it out there. Um, no, but it's a, it's different to be LSU because they're not a machine yet. It it will be telling if they can do it in a way that you know it looks like it makes sense and it's not a fluke. Uh, but there's a completely different. It's a completely different vibe to beat that team versus Alabama, which is a machine. Last quick note here before we move on to some rapid fire before we get to Bill Connolly, and that is that Tennessee, if they beat everyone else. I don't think it matters what happens in the Georgia game. If they beat Kentucky and South Carolina, Missouri and Vanderbilt and they and they beat UT Martin <clears throat> and they are 11 and 1 or 12 and 0, I think they will may they may have clinched themselves a playoff spot, which is insane to say out loud about Crazy. University of Tennessee. So Crazy. just want to get it out there. All right, let's get into some rapid fire stuff here because other games did happen in fact in the SEC. Kentucky, Kentucky, yeah, it actually did. Kentucky got the job done uh, against Mississippi State. It was an—I don't know how much of this you watched because there was a lot going on after the Alabama-Tennessee game, but and Florida LSU was interesting too. But although LSU, I think you said it best, like they're disorganized is one way of putting it. They're just so schizophrenic from week to week. You don't know what to expect. But the but the Mississippi State thing, like first of all, I don't know why they stopped running the ball. I feel like they just kind of quit on that, and that's not the right thing to do. Chris Rodriguez was awesome. Will Levis got hurt, and then he came back into the game, and they went for it on fourth and like goal from like the three in like the end of the third quarter when it was like under ten, and it was a ballsy call, I thought. And Will Levis yeah. completed a, a big pass there. Meanwhile, KJ Jefferson just dominates BYU with just ridiculous numbers and like Herculean, like he's throwing off tacklers and like throwing down the side. Right. Like I and I asked Bill Connolly about this, but the quarterback dependency of all these programs in the middle. Mm-hmm. I think that's natural. I think that's normal, especially when you have guys that are as good as Will Levis and KJ Jefferson. So I don't have like a question for you as much as I have just like an, an acknowledgement of these guys are so good. And obviously Kentucky trusted Will Levis. They went for it when they did. Arkansas right. gets KJ Jefferson back and they're all of a sudden a totally different team. Right. No, I mean, if we're, well, jumping back to Mississippi state just for a second, it's, it's not, no matter what your quarterback can or can't do, um, you cannot go, you cannot be three for 11 on third down, which is what Mississippi state did. If you're, you're at, they had 13 penalties. They lost over a hundred yards because of that. And if you can't convert, you normally can't score and often also your defense is just going to be exhausted. I mean, like that's a, you just, you can't give up. You can't go three for 11 on third downs. You just can't and expect something out of it. But when you look at, yeah, like just what Kentucky did invest in Will Levis and it ended up working out. I do think having so much dependency on quarterback positions, because we just saw it, even if you're Bryce Young, yes, he had an amazing game and everybody thought that Alabama would be the one to come away with a, with a win there. But there is being this quarterback dependent is definitely understandable, but I don't know is what you're saying that it just doesn't have longevity. Well, like what else are you supposed to, what else are you supposed to do? I mean, if you're Kentucky, 
you don't have many like top five picks in the draft at quarterback very often, you know? Right. Um, and KJ Jefferson's a pretty rare specimen. I, I do think Mike Leach is, re- they replicate that position a little bit more in that offense, mm-hmm. but Hendon Hooker, like how is Tennessee going to replace Hendon Hooker? Like that's a big question. True. I know they've got uh, Nico Iamaleava committed right. five-star. Who's like the Pied Piper of NIL, you know, volunteer class. Um, what I think is interesting is Kentucky will play Tennessee in Neyland in two weeks. I don't like how good are all these teams? Like, I think Arkansas, despite the record is a pretty good football team. I think Kentucky has dealt with some adversity. They probably could have beaten Ole Miss, maybe should have beaten Ole Miss. Maybe didn't get some breaks in that game at the end inside the red zone. I like what they didn't have Levis against South Carolina. So absolutely right. Shane Beamer dance away. That's fine. We didn't talk about that, but dance away. Yeah, for sure. Like that's fine. You beat them. doesn't matter who played or didn't play. You played Kentucky and you won in, in, in Lexington. But I think they're all I think like LSU, I think they're all kind of pretty good. Like I don't think they're great, but I think they're pretty good teams. I think Kentucky could give Tennessee a run in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it when you get into the these teams that we have some question marks about, but that are still in like the upper middle tier of the SEC, it comes down to like matchup specific stuff. I mean, just if you're playing if you're playing Kentucky, like can you figure out a way to stop Chris Rodriguez? And if you can't, well, he we just saw it. It's gonna rush for two hundred yards. Yep. And you know, score twice in the fourth quarter. So it's it's just how those, you know, the offense match up against defense and vice versa. Um, I mean, I do think that there are matchups where, you know, these teams have a shot. Like, I don't, do I think Kentucky could pull it off against Tennessee I, in two weeks? I at, After seeing what I saw on Saturday, I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, especially in Neyland. There's no question about that. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of that, I think Mississippi State's a good team. I think they're a, a, they they can play a little defense. They've got the quarterback. I don't again. I don't know why they've gone away from running the football, but they are a good football team. That being said, I mean they had twenty two yards. That being said, on the ground. But go ahead. Uh, T's and P's this weekend, Mississippi State, uh, on the road against Alabama, following a loss, opened as a twenty one point spread. Yikes. Yikes. Mike Leach was quoted saying, we got fat, dumb, and happy. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of a more Mike Leach thing? Uh, yeah, the only it's so funny you say that because the only other time I could think of a quote like that was when Mike Leach, I think, said something about like the players' fat little girlfriends or something like that at Washington State. What? Yeah, it was bad. It was a bad quote. It was like he was insulting them about being lazy and basically the exact same thing that he just did, but he did it this time. He at least did it about his players instead of their girlfriends, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, like, well, that's definitely a better move. But do, do a Google search on Mike Leach, Washington State quotes about uh, their little girlfriends or fat little girlfriends or something like that. It's just it's so stupid. But he took, he took a lot of the backlash of what happened on Saturday. So, like he like he owned it. You this mean? is my fault. I call the offense and like he did say like we didn't tackle well and like offensive lines kept taking turns getting penalties. But this is all my fault because I call the offense. So, yeah, I mean, that's I guess he included himself in the dumb, fat and happy part. But he does but, love candy and it's October. So <laughs> quote for one thing, their fat little girlfriends are telling them what they want to hear which is how great you are and how easy it's going to be. I'm willing to go to fairly amazing lengths to make that happen. There will be some people inconvenienced. And if that happens to be their fat little girlfriends, too bad. You said it twice? <laughs> Within the quote, yes, he said it twice. That was uh, circa 2018. I, I don't know if I would have done that. Now. No, no, I don't think I would have done it at all. <laughs> nope. 
All right, so I want to get your thoughts on A&M and South Carolina, but we'll do that after we talk to Bill Connolly. So uh, that just about does it for us here, talking Tennessee and Kentucky and LSU and Florida. Florida's just, listen, all I have to say about Florida is just patience, guys. Patience. Billy Napier's doing work. Just just patience, okay? Uh, wasn't a great wasn't a great showing against LSU. LSU was in a better situation with Brian Kelly in year one. Don't worry about it. Patience, 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 right? Yep. Just defense needs some work. Ventrell Miller just need a little bit more of that energy on the sidelines. Maybe a couple copies of him. Yeah, and, he's, um, a, he's a dog, man. But Anthony Richardson, I mean, we obviously we still saw like she, gleam gleaming moments of hope there. So I, I hope he I hope he stays. I think he's really I think he could be really exceptional if he stays. I, mm-hmm. I hope he stays. So we'll see. Um, not a ton of Florida talk this week on the pod. However, I've got a question about A and M for you. When we come back, but let's hear from Bill Connolly. This is uh, our conversation with ESPN stats guru, Bill C. Bill Connolly. The great Bill C. joining us here on the program. Bill, how are you, sir? Not too bad. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Um, all right. First of all, easiest question you're going to get all season long. Who's the best team in college football? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, I've had three different answers over the course of seven weeks, and I'm still not really sure. I'm going Ohio State right now. Um, the good thing about picking Ohio State is it's we're probably you can kind of lean on that for another few weeks, and we're not going <laughs> to really know if we're wrong about their defense until the last game of the regular season. So yeah, we'll we'll safely go with that. I think Georgia. I mean, the only thing Georgia's missing right now is 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 explosiveness, and uh, you know, particularly in the passing game, they haven't been able to stretch the field. You know, Missouri almost beat them by basically daring them to go deep, and they weren't able to do it very well. But they, I mean, the defense is looking better and better. the The run game is looking meaner and meaner. Everything looks fine there, but I'll still lean Ohio State for a little bit longer. So, just when we look at the Tennessee Alabama game, um, do you have a deciding factor? Because largely that game was the embodiment of all the things we love about college football. It's 15 years of catharsis and frustration against the greatest coach of all time, a uh, hundred thousand people in a great venue and with tradition and all this stuff mixed in two elite quarterbacks, making just spectacular plays. Uh, is there a deciding factor that you point to? Uh, it didn't seem like there was much controversy. I know we could talk about Amari Thomas's hit to the face, but you could also talk about PIs on the other side. Like it, it kind of evens out in the wash. What was the deciding factor, in your opinion, in that game? Yeah, it really was. I mean, from a pure stat standpoint, the the one way that Tennessee really stood out was, you know, they were a little bit better. They weren't Bama wasn't bad in the red zone, but Tennessee was really good when they had a scoring opportunity. They got the points available to them. Bama almost made up for that with the defensive touchdown, obviously. But um, that that was really that was the only thing that really stood out there. Besides, of course, the deep shots. They they went deep a lot, and Hinton Hooker had time to go deep a lot. Which, when you think of you know Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and all this, you don't really you know Alabama's pass rush has been good for the most part, but they it was almost like they were scared of getting hit deep. They didn't blitz very much. They were really they were relying on on just kind of a base pass rush to get there. And when it didn't, you know, as often as not, Jalen Hyatt was suddenly open downfield. So um, that was probably it was a surprise that Bama was as passive as they were in the pass rush, and it seemed like you know. If you, if you don't want to blitz because you don't want to get burned deep and then you get burned deep anyway, it seems like that's uh, problematic. And so looking at Tennessee, and obviously we know that's what they're going to do. They're going to put out the receivers like literally on the sidelines. They're going to take their deep shots. They're going to force you to, 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 to 
you know, decide run or pass in terms of where you want to focus on your defense. Like we know that's what Tennessee does. Alabama knew that was coming. They couldn't stop it. On the other side, we, I thought they did a pretty good job of pressuring Bryce Young, who is the slipperiest player I think I've ever seen in college football history. Um, and, And I guess the question is, you play against Alabama, your defensive metrics are going to get skewed. That's just how it goes. Um, you play against Tennessee, your defensive metrics are going to get skewed. I mean, just just ask Oregon right now. They're still like trying to re-skew their numbers off of the Georgia loss. But Tennessee is, to me, if you're looking at the difference between Tennessee and the other four, five, or six teams that feel like they're at the top of the game, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, you know, probably those, it's sort of the one-dimensional nature relative to those other teams with the lack of defense. Now they played fairly well against Alabama gave up 49 points. Right. Um, are you seeing growth and progress from this side of the ball from Tennessee enough to say that this team is capable of making a real playoff championship caliber run, or is that the thing that holds them back? Well, I mean, they've made progress from last year. Let's put it that way. They they've definitely improved from last year defensively. Um, the run defense is, is, awesome like i know very few i mean occasional when, when they have a bust it can go a long way but for the most part they're holding opponents to you know one two three four yards in a, in a given carry jameer gibbs uh you know barely average like what four four and a half yards per carry something like that he got he had a couple nice catches um but they 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 do a nice job up front um yeah the the pass defense was a problem heading into this game um and, and it certainly they had a problem even before playing bryce young they had a problem with you know, having really good pressure numbers and a, and a pretty poor sack rate. And now that's been magnified a little bit more. They're looking at my stats. They're 11th in blitzes per drop back. They're 40th in pressure rate and they're 91st in sack rate. So, um, you know, that can still, you can still just get a benefit from hurrying quarterbacks and making them rush their decision-making, but that hasn't really paid off for Tennessee because they're finding open guys. Um, so that that's, that's where the issue is. They, they stand up to the run really well. And this makes, this makes the Georgia game pretty interesting in that regard they're going to make Stetson Bennett beat them he might do it uh but they can at least you know they they can at least make uh Georgia kind of have to go to plan B a little bit offensively so um yeah they're they're, this is this is one of the five best teams in the country I don't think it's the best team it's it's probably the fifth of the five um maybe fourth but it's you know this is considering what we've been talking about with Tennessee for most of the last you know 15 years that's this is pretty awesome yeah, I, it's it's funny. Like I've never seen a player. I know running to throw and running to run are are things that NFL people talk about all the time with quarterbacks, and it's trickled down to the college game, of course. And I don't think I've ever seen a player because this is what Russell Wilson did back even back at NC State and at Wisconsin is r- running to throw. And technically, Drew Brees did a little bit of this as well. But I, yeah. I I look at what Bryce Young does, and no one did it like I've never seen anyone do it like him against Tennessee. Like he was setting up. I mean, truly a point, a basketball point guard, three steps away to get a defensive lineman to, you know, manipulate the defensive lineman so that I could get a throw off. Like just, I've never seen anybody do it the way Bryce Young does it. You mentioned Georgia. How does Georgia play in that game? Like we know Tennessee is going to play at, at Georgia. We saw Georgia and Bama twice last year, two very different teams. If Georgia's on either one of those two sides of that equation, how, how does that game look in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think when, when you're thinking about them against Tennessee, um, 
It really is a lot. I mean, this is probably they're still about a touchdown favorite, probably because they're just. I mean, they're they're still really good. Like I, I can talk about it. They have an actual weakness this year with the big play passing, but they're third in rushing success rate. I mean, they're they're second in passing success rate. When you've got the best tight end tandem uh, in the country, then you know they basically have everything that they need to get away with not having a lot of big plays in the passing game. So, um, but against there, there are some interesting matchups here against Tennessee. Whether we're talking about you know the, the crazy good defense against the crazy good offense, whether we're talking about the fact that. Uh, Georgia does pass really efficiently and Tennessee has a problem with that, but Tennessee prevents big plays pretty well in the passing game and Georgia is pretty terrible at that. So how does this all, um, it's, it's going to be kind of interesting, but I do think Georgia still had the advantage there. The Georgia Alabama is really interesting though. If you think about how, you know, Texas was able to scare Alabama deep, especially when yours was in the game and the way Tennessee was able to beat them deep, Georgia can't do that. Then, you know, that that becomes a little bit more of an even matchup. I, I don't want to say that Georgia is a more favorable matchup for Alabama than Tennessee is because I'm not. They're good at a lot of other things, but it is the matchups here are really really interesting, and it should. I mean, we we still expect unless Ole Miss has some surprises, we still expect uh, Alabama to play one of these teams at the end of the year, uh, and I still lean Georgia in that regard. But um, yeah, uh, certainly certainly intrigue. And if we get a if we get a rematch, there are certainly some things I'm curious about. You know, what changes about how Alabama attacks Hendon Hooker, for instance, um, that would be a really interesting yeah. to see as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's okay to say Tennessee is uniquely qualified to attack Alabama, and and maybe Georgia doesn't have the same pieces or weapons. And that's I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It doesn't make one team better, right, or worse than the <laughs> other. It sounds it sounds like you're all in on Bama because I, I mean thoughts and prayers to Mississippi State this weekend. Um, it sounds like you're all like they have to go to LSU. They got to play Ole Miss, Auburn, of course, is Auburn. But it doesn't feel like you're you feel like out like. No one is equipped to take advantage of the issues for Alabama left on their schedule until Atlanta is what you're saying, right? Well, yeah, I mean, my numbers love Ole Miss. Um, still have them seventh in SP plus, and and like a Batman is like a three and a half point favorite at Ole Miss. So I mean, that that game's within reach for sure. Really? Um, I don't really worried about Ole Miss's defense at the moment. It's you know the, they're like what tw- eight sixteenth in in my defensive SP plus. Most of that's from the first three games. They've been. A little glitchier of late. And and the fact that they go through these funks where they look like the best team in the country for about 10 minutes and then they just take the next 20 minutes off. That's um, I don't like I'm not sure about the attention span involved there and, and whether that's going to play against Alabama. But they're on paper. They are rock solid and they're going to have at least a puncher's chance against Bama. And that would make things obviously extremely interesting down the stretch uh especially if Ole Miss can actually survive the next couple games too which is a completely different deal as well but no I I I like Ole Miss I just I mean like I always say I always pick Alabama and I'm right about 90 percent of the time so I'm going to (laughs) keep doing it so so we like Ole Miss they're better than maybe their strength of schedule numbers but they're not as good as their number nine ranking but they're only a three and a half point favorite at home against Bama I so basically it's an Ole Miss game is what we're saying. <laughs> right. They're, they're, they could be close enough to where if they have just a, a funky five minutes or, you know, a bomb off of somebody's helmet and they catch it for a long touchdown, you know, things that have happened before. Um, we're within range of craziness. Let's put it that way. So five turnover, five Alabama turnovers inside their own 40 yard line, kind of. Two missed field goals, two missed field goals. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I, so I, is, are, is Alabama a, larger favorite against LSU in your opinion then 
Yeah, I don't completely trust LSU yet. We've kind of seen like the the ceiling and the floor in the last two weeks, and we know what Jaden Daniels can do if you can't contain him. And Florida, Florida was kind of determined not to contain him for the most part. But um, they are they're clearly good. They're clearly what they've made plays on both sides of the ball. I don't think they're really elite in anything. Ole Miss has an elite run game or very close to it, and sometimes has an elite passing game. Uh, LSU doesn't make a ton of big plays. They probably give up too many. I don't really trust that one necessarily. I mean, it's also, you know, funky stuff happens. So uh, of course they would have a shot, but I know I, I think I trust Ole Miss to do more damage than LSU does. So it sounds like you like Ole Miss this weekend then just more complete. I, it, it, the fact that it's in Baton Rouge obviously gives me pause, but I think if, you know, just thinking of things in terms of like, if it's on a neutral field, I would like Ole Miss more. Yeah. Okay. So Ole Miss is more real than I expected. That's what I've learned today uh, on the, in the conversation. And then LSU, is going to have to do something crazy to to hang with Alabama. Um, KJ Jefferson comes back and is just spectacular one man show against BYU. Will Levis comes back and they trust him on a fourth and goal, yeah. trailing at home. We know how good and how important Will Rogers is to Mississippi State. You mentioned it. Jaden Daniels looked more in control uh, inside the offense for LSU last week against Florida than he has the entire season. So I guess like normally I wouldn't ask this about LSU, but certainly it's the case for Arkansas, Kentucky, and Mississippi State, and to some degree you know, even Ole Miss as a program, how quarterback dependent are these programs inside the SEC? Is it just a, a, a moment in time that they're quarterback dependent and they're not built to sustain long-term or is it just that these guys are that good? Right. I mean, you can spin that in either way there. It could just be that they're quarterback dependent because the quarterbacks are good. The end. And you know, if they weren't, if they didn't have that, then they'd rely on other things. Look at the big 10. They don't have as many good quarterbacks and um, you know, they're figuring it <laughs> I guess they're and sort Chase, of figuring out Chase, Chase Brown gets 45 carries. That's how it, that's how it <laughs> exactly like Illinois fans keep yelling at me. Like, why isn't he on your Heisman list? So he's ever <laughs> like four yards of carry. It's just, he's carrying the ball 80 times a game. Right. But um, no, like that's, there are certainly a lot of very interesting quarterbacks. I think, uh, you know, Jaden Daniels, they've gotten the full Jaden Daniels experience these last couple of weeks. My joke in the off season was, you know, whatever offense you put Jaden Daniels into, it becomes the Jaden Daniels offense. He's going to scramble. <laughs> he's going to make a lot of plays. He's going to drive you crazy. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen, you know, the good and the bad of that against Tennessee and Florida. So, no, I mean, you know, the, 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 the coaches and the offensive coordinators that are able to not only, you know, put in a good quarterback, but then figure out how to build around him. KJ Jefferson in that regard, especially, I mean, you know, it's, it becomes, the game becomes a lot more interesting to watch when you've got good quarterback play. Let me add Tennessee to this and follow this up with KJ Jefferson's gone. He's going to the NFL. Will Levis is the number, whatever pick Hendon hooker goes on to the NFL. Will Rogers as well. Which of those four programs, it, it has a more sustainable model with the coach, the system, the recruiting post star quarterback. I mean, if we're throwing in Will Rogers, then I mean, obviously, Mike Leach is going to always have a quarterback who throws for 4,000 yards. Um, okay. You know, that's and, and the fact that, you know, they've been able to lean on defense a little bit more this year has been really interesting. They actually probably I don't know if they've gotten enough from their offense at certain times, but their defense has been really good. And it's made up. a It's picked up some slack. I'm going to say Tennessee is probably the most sustainable. I don't mean that from a top five perspective right um you know obviously you in any sort of handoff to a different quarterback even if it's a five-star freshman or whatever um you know there's going to be a little bit of a, a growing pains period but i do think that 
you know, we kind of know what Josh Heupel has to bring, what what he brings to the table. And I think what we're seeing early on is, I mean, he's going to have the pieces to do what he needs to do there, even if there are still some ups and downs here and there. Uh, what is Texas A&M ultimately missing? They're going to play at South Carolina in the the greatest crossover rivalry in SEC history. Um, what what are they at? like? I I know Jimbo Fisher needs to go on some ayahuasca trip through West Texas in high school football with Aaron Rodgers, but like what what really is going on with A&M? I mean, I'd love to have a more creative answer than their their passing game is never good enough and it should be better than this and so on and so forth. But that's been like every year in August, I write a piece like the most important players in the country. And every year, Texas A&M's quarterback is in like the top three. And when I did it again this year, some A&M fan was like, oh, you're so obsessed with us. I'm like, no, you needed a quarterback for the last four years. You should be better than this. And for whatever reason, I mean, whether he puts too much on the plate, whether he doesn't recruit well enough, um, which I guess, I mean, they got the, the five-star kid this year, which, you know, in theory uh, sh- should be good enough. But um, he looked great in camp, Bill. See, he looked great in camp. <laughs> that's that's great that's great now 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 prove it um but no like their their offense obviously doesn't have any like some of the bells and whistles that that others do they don't give their quarterbacks any easy passes whatsoever here and there and it costs them right now they're 51st in rushing success rate offensively and you know 15th in defensive or the 48th which isn't as good but it's still up there and their their defense is fine their run game's fine and they're 103rd in passing success rate it's the same it's worse this year, but it's a similar story every single year. They still don't have it. The best quarterback play Jimbo Fisher has gotten at Texas A&M was the year they finished fifth in the rankings. Yeah. Full with the th- third year starting quarterback or whatever that was at that point. So, yep. Yep. I, and even then you can kind of say that it probably held them back a little bit still, but it, they were still obviously very good when they had a, a solid quarterback that year. Yeah. Only loss, of course, to the perfect national champion mac jones led alabama crimson tide and 11 first round draft picks on offense right, uh, yeah, like maybe the best alabama team in the, the yeah. that they're that they've had yeah what what are you most looking forward to in the sec over the second half of the season just go full nerd on me here man <laughs> well i am very curious about all this here and just what like th- those those glimpses like what we saw in the first quarter against auburn and like for five minutes against tulsa and here and there like they when they're clicking it's terrifying i mean they are really really good in those moments um and the defense really was starting to you know give me pause over the first three four games of the year just in how consistently dominant they started to look and we're seeing less of that but they're still unbeaten they're still um you know they're going to have a chance on paper at least they're going to have a chance in every single game this year um you know that's that's great they're probably going to win 10 games uh, or they have a very good shot at 10 wins uh, again and that's an awesome year for Ole Miss but like Alabama's a little wobbly this would be a really good time if you Ooh. can split these next two games and then beat and then you know Tennessee just won its biggest game in forever against Alabama. If you can do the same, um, this feels like as good a chance as you're going to get. So I'm curious how much of this they can take advantage of. Uh, ironically, the Tennessee win over Alabama had nothing to do with the potential Lane Kiffin Tennessee SEC championship game, but it does make it feel a little bit more possible. And we can allow ourselves yeah. the pure joy of thinking about that possibility in Atlanta. No, I I mean, that's, you know, for as far as alternative programming goes, that's about <laughs> as, as good as we can possibly ask for from college football. 
No question. Bill C, man, thank you so much. Check out all of his work, ESPN. He's got the writing, the rankings, all the great stuff, man. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We do appreciate it and enjoy the second half, my friend. You too. That was Bill Connolly. Interesting stuff there on Tennessee, Alabama, beatability, Tennessee playoff hopes, Georgia's matchup with those two. How real is Ole Miss? A lot of great stuff in there uh, from Bill Connolly. So we do appreciate his time. Uh, I did ask him, like, what was wrong with AM? And he basically just said they can't throw the football. The offense is wrong. And, you know, you guys just heard it. So I'm curious, uh, Aaron, when we look at this matchup against South Carolina, who right now is four and two mm-hmm. in the rivalry that we all wanted when we got divisions and expansion, because this is the crossover we've all hoped for AM versus South Carolina. Uh, remember, there's a couple of famous games in, in the history of these two. Um, if you go back and look, I want to say South Carolina was like a three touchdown or two touchdown favorite. And it, was it Kenny Hill that went down on a on the opening night on a Thursday against South Carolina? And like Kenny Trill, when, like what? When this would have been it? like six years ago, maybe five years ago. Um, this was after Manziel. And he he thought he was launching his Heisman Trophy campaign on the road against South Carolina through they destroyed South Carolina and like on a Thursday night to open the season and then like ended up at TCU (laughs) after that. Um, It's just a weird attention on you on a Thursday night opener and it could be good or bad. It's such a weird game. But the big picture here, Aaron, is what happens in College Station if they lose this game on the road and are three and four after being preseason top ten. What happens? I mean, what do you mean? What happens? What happens? Like I mean, how sad are people? I just mean like what? What do we do? What do we do with Texas A&M? Because I mean, they're not going to fire the coach because he's got the guaranteed contract and he's recruiting like crazy. And this is a this is a potential four loss you, team. You almost have to. Well, it wouldn't be a wash for some schools, but it is going to be a wash for what everybody thought they were going to be, including them. Um, I mean. I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess you just hope that I mean, they ha- they are recruiting their ass off and they have the facilities like that descended from the heavens. I mean, they're not going to have problems for forever, but you might just have to accept that the season's not what you thought it was going to be. And oh, I think they've done that. I mean, oh. you have to have already done that. But I mean, it could it could get worse. So if if South Carolina wins at home, they go to five and two, which tells us a very different story about Shane Beamer. Right. Cause like I was not high on the hire. God. A lot of people weren't high on the hire. Um, but that that's one win away from like back to back bowls in his first two seasons, which is mm-hmm. a pretty good accomplishment, no matter okay. what kind of context you add to it. And if they and if and if that happens, then you you've got an AM team that is three and four by week eight after being preseason top ten. And all of it all of it is about the quarterback and about the offense and about Jimbo refusing to do something other than be Jimbo the play calling like has to change. I mean, and they, he's got to be able, I mean, I mean, they could go down there and win gotta figure they, their shit out. Yeah. I, I just, I bring this up at the end because it's a total dumpster fire potentially. Now, again, not one that's not manageable. Like it, it's so, not, it's like, it's more like a dumpster fire filled with hot garbage. So you've got South Carolina, then you play Ole Miss at home. Then you play Florida at home. Then you play uh, Auburn so got, away. Got LSU, so you got right? Auburn, LSU, and UMass after that. Oh, yeah. Which, don't forget about UMass. One, two. I mean, I think they should. I don't know. I mean, they'll be favored against Florida. 
UMass and Auburn and maybe even Ole Miss at home, honestly, depending on what Ole Miss does Ole this Miss weekend. Is seven though. But if they lose to LSU this week and yeah. AM beats South Carolina, they could be favored at home in that game. Yeah. And Vegas There's... doesn't care about the ranking next to your number either. Like look at I LSU. They, I know yeah. they don't, but it's at least they get that one at home. They get yeah, they they get to play Auburn at Auburn. I think that the likelihood of them winning Florida is high. Auburn is definitely high. plausible. Yeah plausible to high and UMass is a, is a win. What, so. what is like, what's the definition of insanity? Like doing the same thing over and over, and over again, and expecting... Again, expecting different results. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many Texas A&M fans you talk to right now? And you're like, how you feel about uh, eight and four, buddy? It's a lot of money for eight and four. <laughs> it's a lot of money. It'd be a lot of money to have somebody else, though. And especially if you get to three and four to start the season. Uh, that's pretty bad. I just, True. I ba- think... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, basically, we're just putting as much pressure on this game as possible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it are it it has pressure because it the more... The less you're living up to your potential as a team, the more... Even if you're... It's not different from the fans. It's the self-inflicted pressure for players and coaches as you get further and further into the season where fans get off a little bit off their high horse of like, oh, I thought we could go 10 and two and compete for, you know, potentially being an SEC championship. And now they realize that's not going to happen. So the pressure is probably, it's becoming more of like a, to a boiling point on the inside of the program. Probably. And what if you're a defensive player? Like you have a pretty good defense. Yeah. Stopping people most of the time. And then you yeah. look over for the fourth year, fifth year in a row, and you're like, why can we not get a person to complete forward passes down the field? Right. Now, they had it for one year, and we mentioned this, like Kellen Mond in 2020. Their only loss was to Alabama, who was epically great that year. And they, they, they were they finished fifth in the rankings, and they were one spot away from making the playoff. Like they, That was a really, really good A&M team, and that is lost sometimes in this conversation. But every yeah. other team has been the exact same thing. Very yeah. talented garbage on offense throwing the football well and they're turning it over and uh, i mean yep you could literally just pull fumbling stats if you ever need to go to just pull how many times the team has turned the ball over and you can see a lot about that it's very directly correlated to record a lot of the time um not where a&m wanted to be obviously do i think that they're gonna beat south carolina Uh, i yeah yeah I think so. But the Gamecocks have gone from being a team that loses close games to being a team that wins close games. Mm. And that has happened like in the very, very not so distant past. Um, And they just used to kind of be choke guard. I mean, it used to be Vanderbilt, South Carolina. Like, we don't know who's going to win the game year to year, but we know that we all lost games that we shouldn't have. Um, And South Carolina is kind of on the other side of that same coin now. So I don't want to. I don't want to put zero doubt in them because or zero faith in them because I think it's possible. Late game success artist cock commander at your service. Wow. <laughs> Brought to you by their fat little girlfriends. <laughs> I do not want that to happen again. Actually, the fat girlfriends thing made it funnier. Um, you don't you don't you, you don't Mike get the Lynch. cock commander reference? Come on now. No, I do get the cock commander <laughs> reference. I just was you saying cock on the show isn't my favorite thing, but go cocks. All right. That's that's fine. Let's go, Cox. Um, did I? I told you about the um, the yes. Georgia State, the Georgia State turning to George Strait thing. 
No, but please, please tell. Go to jedun.com, by the way, if you want to change careers, jedun.com. Our show is brought to you by jedun, jedun.com. We love jedun. Please tell me about the Georgia State trained in Georgia Strait. Okay. So this is a fun little story to cap it off. When I was, when South Carolina was playing Georgia State earlier in the season, I was down visiting my friends. Did I tell this already? No, but I I, I remember the game now because okay. we I liked Georgia State to cover. They did not. Cock Commander covered. Mary, my two best friends who you know um, through Chris Childers, I think Mary Carlisle and Ricky um, now live in Jupiter, Florida. They used to live here. Ricky went to South Carolina. Yeah, not a bad place to live. And MC went to Alabama. But Ricky um, is one of the most responsible adults I know. But when the Gamecocks play, he loves to drink whiskey. And whiskey and Ricky don't always... Actually, they do mix well if you're me, because I think it's hilarious. Anything he does when he's drinking <laughs> to me is the funniest shit in the world, because it is. He went from getting so mad and just screaming at the television at the beginning, going, who the hell is Georgia State? Like, it went from him being mad about Georgia State. Tennessee to, fans know. <laughs> to ending, yeah. Jeremy Jeremy Pruitt knows who Georgia State is. To And just going crazy at the TV, and then it just drifted into George Strait. So by the end of the game, Ricky was yelling, why are we losing to George Strait? And I was, it's, I wish I had a video of it. But He's it got just, a lot of bangers, man. You got to you got to went from George State to George Strait. And it's, I get it. We were, lived in Nashville for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Kind of far off. And but. to be fair, his wife worked for, I don't know, works for still like one of the, the, the biggest country music station in the world. So yeah. Um, yes. There's that as well. But uh, and listen, he's a musician, but it was funny as shit. Can George Strait stop the run? I don't know. Maybe those bangers can. He's got some he's got some big old uh, number one hits there. So George Strait <laughs> has some raw talent. Yes. <laughs> some short space, short space agility. Uh, but if you need someone in space, go with Garth. Garth is the guy out in space that can run around and make plays in, in the open field, despite his age and stature. So, uh, <laughs> all right, go to jdunn.com if you want to make a switch for your career. Uh, I got nothing, sent you. I got nothing else, man. jdunn.com. Uh, happy smoke him if you got him, everybody. For Aaron Dugan, I'm Bra- <laughs> for Aaron Dugan, I'm Braden Gall. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks to Bill Connolly as well. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Go Vols, I guess. <laughs>